Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thank you, Josh. Um, great morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, I want to start this morning's sermon by sharing um, part of one of my favourite, real, true stories. Um, and it's the story of a man named Louis Zamperini. There he is. He's appeared on the screen for you. This was, uh, this was in his later life, in the early 2000s, uh, that this picture was taken. Now, uh, Louis Zamperini grew up in the USA in the 1920s and 30s. And the first thing you need to know about Louis is that he was a very talented runner. He was so talented, in fact, that he was picked by the US to compete in the Olympics in 1936. Uh, and in fact, there's, he even, as he told the story, he even said that in 1936, Adolf Hitler shook his hand and said, you're the one with the fast finish. Little did he know, of course, what was going to happen uh, in the ensuing years. And, and in, the 19, in 1939, the Second World War, of course, broke out. Shortly after that, the US became involved in the war and Louis Zamperini enlisted in the Air Force. He trained as, a, as part of a bomber crew and, and was sent out on various missions, most of which surrounded the, the war in the Pacific in, uh, and near Japan. In 1943, Louis Zamperini and his crew were sent out on a rescue mission on a plane that was notorious for being faulty. And exactly as it was expected to, the plane went down. Louis and three of his crewmates were stranded in two rubber dinghies floating in the Pacific with no fresh water, uh, very little food and sharks circling around them. In this time of peril, two of the crewmates survived, one of whom was Louis, and they managed to survive through feeding on tiny fish that they were able to catch and eat raw, and even an albatross that they were able to catch. They survived 47 days before they reached land. But sadly, the land they reached was Japanese controlled and they were immediately taken prisoner, transported to a Japanese prisoner of war camp, where for a long time they were violently abused and repeatedly mistreated until eventually the war was over. During his internment in this prison camp, Louis Zamperini attracted the wrath of a particular prison guard whose nickname was The Bird. There was no particular reason for this uh, dislike of Louis particularly, but this prison guard systematically attempted to break Louis's spirit, very nearly succeeding. After the war, this prison guard, the bird, went into hiding, but was afterwards named on a US list of the 40 most wanted war criminals in Japan. Now, it's what happened to Louis after the war, after he went back to the US, that makes his story one of my absolute favorite stories. But I'm gonna save that for later on, if that's all right with you. You see, human stories, real life stories are powerful things. We, the human race, are a storytelling species. You can see evidence of this in cave paintings, Egyptian hieroglyphs, ancient literature like the Odyssey, and of course, in the Bible itself. 
Well, at CCM at the moment, we're thinking about mission, how we can share the good news of Jesus with uh, the people in our lives in the hope that they might come to faith in Jesus and be saved. And one of the most powerful ways that we can do this is to share our own story of how knowing Jesus has changed our lives. In one sense, we are all telling the same story. How God stepped down to earth in the person of his son, Jesus, and died to pay the price of our sins so that we could be restored back to God. But in another very real sense, every one of us has a different story of how we came to realize this truth in our lives, how we came to believe in Jesus, how we came to faith, and how it has changed everything. If you're a Christian today, you might be able to pinpoint the exact moment that you first believed or it might have been a process that took place over time. Maybe you can't remember a time where you didn't believe in Jesus. But the point is this, your story isn't my story and mine isn't yours. You might feel that your story is pretty straightforward and uneventful actually. Or you might have a story that is so dramatic that you're waiting for the day you can sell the rights to a film company. But today I hope to show you this, that each one of us has a story worth telling about what Jesus has done in our lives. In the passage that we're gonna to read today in John chapter four, we see one woman encounter Jesus at a well. And after a conversation with him where he shows her the time of day nobody else would give her and shows her that he is the Messiah, the anointed one that God had promised to send to save his people. She leaves the well so impacted by what has happened that she is aching to tell her story to anybody who will listen. And to her shock, she finds that people are listening. They're intrigued. They've heard how Jesus has changed her life and they wanna know how he can change theirs. Well, we're gonna read the first part of that story now in John chapter four, verses four to nine. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, which means it was the hottest point of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, here we see Jesus honour this woman at the well in a way that she really wasn't expecting. She wasn't used to being honoured by people. She certainly wasn't used to being honoured by religious men. And we see what happens afterwards. And we're going to see how the story that she begins to tell of how Jesus has changed her life uh, is, so, is birthed within her as this story she cannot keep in. But every good story has a protagonist, doesn't it? Someone who carries the plot forward, the main character, the hero, if you like. Harry Potter, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mulan, Superman, Wonder Woman, Miss Marple or Hercule Poirot. All of these are the fictional protagonists in their respective stories. They're just the first few I could think of. But it's not just fictional stories that have protagonists. There are plenty of real life uh, heroes whose stories have become legendary for various reasons. People like Rosa Parks, 
Oscar Schindler, Nelson Mandela, Billy Graham, Corey Ten Boom. The list goes on and on. And we love, don't we, to have these stories retold to us. In the last two years alone, biopics have been made about Elton John, David Bowie, Aretha Franklin, J.R.R. Tolkien, just to name a few. We love to hear the stories of real life legends, don't we? The other thing every good story has is somebody who goes on a journey. Sometimes it's the protagonist and sometimes it's someone else. A character who starts off in one place or one position or one set of circumstances. And by the end of the story, it's all different. They've grown, they've changed, they've accomplished something, they've learned something. Recently, Claire and I watched the Disney classic Mulan, okay, the, the old one, the original. And it fits this category beautifully. Uh, no matter what you think of the, the new live action film with its sincere lack of music and lack of Mushu the dragon, it's about a woman who grows up in Imperial China, but breaks out of the stereotype expected of her, which is essentially that she would become a wife. Instead, she joins the army going on to save China from the Huns. She certainly goes on quite a journey from one place to another. Every good story has a hero and every good story has someone who goes on a journey who starts in one place and ends somewhere else. Well, the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, tell the true story of Jesus, who is clearly the protagonist or the hero. Mark's gospel, which is the, the earliest one we have in terms of when it was written and produced, begins with the words, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's clear from page one who is the hero of this story. The Gospel of John, on the other hand, ends with the words, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus coming from heaven to earth and being born of a virgin, as the prophet said he would. And then they tell us about his three year ministry where he taught the scriptures, exorcised demons, healed illnesses, raised people from the dead and even forgave sins, which only God can do. The gospel authors reveal that Jesus is the son of God, God in human form. And each gospel builds to the point, that crucial point where Jesus is arrested, put on trial, found guilty, even though he's not and crucified on a Roman cross. The hero of the story is killed, but he doesn't remain in the grave. In a display of unmatchable power, Jesus rises from the dead and appears to, among others, some of the gospel authors before ascending to heaven. And not only is Jesus the hero of the story told in the gospels, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John relentlessly hammer home the point that the Old Testament has always been pointing to Jesus. So he's the hero of the entire biblical story. The four gospel authors are telling the same story with different focuses, but the same intention to show the world who Jesus is. And we're gonna to talk today about how we, as Jesus followers in the 21st century can tap into this, how we can share our stories of how Jesus has transformed our life with a view to showing the world who Jesus is. We're going to look later on at a simple formula for sharing our story, thinking about what the situation was before, what God did and what has changed since. 
But first, let's go back to this story in John's gospel and see what happens with the woman who meets Jesus at the well. See, the gospels are also full of stories about the people who meet Jesus. And these are the characters who go on a journey from one place to another. Fishermen lay down their nets, abandon their business to follow Jesus. People who are paralyzed stand up and walk home. A man who has been enslaved by evil spirits and lives in a tomb is restored both to his right mind and to his community. A tax collector, after meeting Jesus, decides that he's going to give everything he has away to the poor and those he's cheated. A woman about to be stoned for adultery walks away unharmed as Jesus intervenes. Another woman decides to empty a jar of expensive perfume over Jesus' feet, unashamedly honouring him in front of religious leaders. All of these people journey from one place to another as they come to believe that Jesus is truly who he says he is, the son of God, the Messiah, the one who saves God's people from their sin. As we'll see in just a second, the woman in this passage is no exception. You might have noticed that we are not told the woman's name. Sadly, that is quite fitting with the perception that her community, her society would have had of her. You see, we find out in the next few verses that this woman had lived a turbulent, painful, quite sad life. See, she'd had five husbands and now she was living with a man who she wasn't married to, quite possibly to find some economic security in a place where a woman who'd been married five times would struggle to find that. The Samaritan woman has had almost as many husbands as Henry VIII had wives, but we've got no rhyme to know what happened to those husbands. We don't know whether she had to endure the sorrow of one of her husbands dying. We don't know if she'd had to experience the rejection of one of her husbands leaving her. We don't know whether she'd had to escape a marriage which had become abusive. We don't know whether she carried guilt for the mistakes she'd made which had caused a marriage to break down. We don't know the reasons she'd had five husbands, but we do know that marriages don't just end. She's lived a very painful life of heartbreak. So we don't know any more than we're told about her, but do you know who does? Jesus. After he uses a metaphor, the metaphor of living water, to tell her about the eternal life on offer for anyone who believes in him, this exchange happens in verses 15 to 18. The woman said to Jesus, sir, give me this water, you know, this living water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Well, imagine for a moment that you met somebody at the supermarket, the modern day equivalent, perhaps, of visiting the town well. You strike up a conversation, maybe they ask you to help them reach something on one of the shelves, and then they tell you that they know everything about your life. They know about your childhood, they know about your job, they know about your relationships, they know your deepest secrets, and they know the most painful memories you hold. How would you feel? Well, in this moment with her soul laid bare, the woman recognizes that there's something special about Jesus, but doesn't immediately grasp the full picture. I mean, let's be honest, would any of us 
we'd be so shocked. We wouldn't know what to do with the fact that someone had just told us they knew everything about us. She recognizes that he is a prophet, somebody God is using to bring a message to his people, which is a glimpse of the picture of who Jesus is. But then you see Jesus starts talking about worship. And you see, this meant a lot to the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, because the Samaritans lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. They shared ancestors with the residents of Jerusalem and Judea. But Judeans, Jews, did not associate with Samaritans. They saw their worship as inferior, and they prohibited them from coming to worship at the Jerusalem temple. And the woman articulates this painful thing to Jesus, saying she doesn't know how, how she can worship God properly when she's not allowed to go to the temple. And Jesus says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus signals that what he's here to do is to call the people back to God calling people to put their faith in him, in Jesus, so that they can be God's true worshippers, male and female, Jew and Samaritan and Gentile, which means non-Jew alike. Because as Paul puts it in Galatians 3, all are one in Christ Jesus. The Samaritan woman who's still confused says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming and I'm sure he will explain everything. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This woman who by many would have been viewed as a social outcast with a tragic history, who had ventured out for water from the well as she did every day, can now say that she has met with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He has honored her by sitting with her and telling her who he is. But her story doesn't finish here. In fact, the evidence that her encounter with Jesus has changed her forever is in what she does next. But before we get there, I wonder, when you see an advert for something on TV for a product or a service, how much more likely does that make you to buy that product? Particularly if uh, these things are endorsed by a celebrity. Okay, maybe you're a bit cynical like me, and what you see in these adverts is a celebrity who's being paid extortionate amounts to endorse a product they probably never use. Think of the, the multimillionaire who endorses a three pound bottle of shampoo, and you sit there thinking, really? Or my favorite of the recent adverts is Robert De Niro endorsing Warburton's bread. Okay, as if he doesn't have fresh bread delivered to him every day by a butler. Okay, I for one, I'm not convinced by these celebrity endorsements of these products in adverts. But hopefully you can relate to this. Isn't it an entirely different story if someone I know and trust, someone I know personally, recommends a product to me? In fact, I was looking at the appliances around our house this week as I was planning this, and I realized that so many of these things from our Hoover to my laptop to my drill, even to my phone, even to the broadband network we're with, even the energy supplier we're with, all of our choices here have been determined by recommendations from friends and family. Because we trust these people, we'll gladly listen to the story they tell about these products and services. And we'll trust that what they're saying is true, or at very least is worth exploring and researching for ourselves. As human beings, we love stories. Authentic stories build trust. They convince us, they encourage us, they engage us, they challenge us, and they even persuade us to try and explore new things for ourselves. 
Each one of us who is a Christian has a unique story of how knowing Jesus has changed our lives and the friends, family and colleagues we have who don't yet know Jesus need to hear it. In John 5, 24, Jesus describes the change that happens in a person when they believe in him. And it's more than just a change in lifestyle or a change in perspective. It's a change in eternity. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. This is the journey of someone who has come to believe in Jesus. They have crossed over from spiritual death to eternal life. Let's go back once more to the Samaritan woman whose response to what has happened between her and Jesus shows us just how much it's affected her. Let's read verses 27 to 30. Just then Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Do you see what's happened here? The, the woman actually leaves behind her water jar. The only reason she'd ventured out in the first place is she rushes back to the town and starts telling everyone she can find about what's just happened. And her tagline is, he told me everything I've ever done. No matter what her reputation in the community, the son of God has honored her by sitting with her and engaging her in conversation in the heat of the day. And as the woman tells her story, there's something about the story she's telling and the way she's telling it that gets people to listen. Hearing about how Jesus has changed her life, they venture out to see if he can do the same for them. They've been inspired by her story to check it out for themselves. And isn't this just the response we'd love to see? in our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus, in the five names that we're praying for at the moment, the five people who we'd love to have gospel conversations with. It's not that we believe that our story uh, in itself will convince them that Jesus is real. It might, but it's not that. It's that it will prompt them to explore things for themselves, to read the Bible and see what it says about Jesus, to come along to church, to ask questions, to go on an alpha course, to explore. The Samaritan woman's tagline as she tells her story is, he told me everything I've ever done. I wonder if you could summarize what Jesus has done in your life in just a sentence or two like she can. You know, this is a helpful exercise, even though it's not an obligation. And most of the time you'll have much longer than that to share your story. But it's a helpful exercise in working out what your story is, particularly if you're not used to sharing it. We're going to finish by talking about a simple way that we can share our story. One basic way of thinking about what our story is and how Jesus has changed our life is by thinking about the answers to three simple questions. Number one, what was the situation before? Number two, what did God do? And number three, how have things changed? And actually, this formula works really well, whether you're like me Perhaps you grew up in a Christian home and the journey of you coming to faith was quite gradual, quite smooth, perhaps. Or whether you're like Claire, who's going to join me in just a second, who became a Christian very suddenly just a few years ago. Whatever your story looks like, each one of us has a story to tell about what Jesus has done in our lives. To illustrate this and the diversity in what those stories look like, 
Claire and I are going to share our short answers to those three questions. Question number one, what was the situation before? Well, the Samaritan woman in the passage's answer to that is that she'd had five husbands and she was living with a man who wasn't her husband, a huge cultural taboo, which had led her community to reject her. Things were about as bad as they could get. My answer to that question, what was the situation before, is that honestly, I can't remember a time when I didn't call myself a Christian, but I can remember countless times when my life didn't reflect what I claimed to believe. I'm really thankful for my Christian upbringing, but looking back, I realised that I didn't take my faith seriously at all until I left home at 19. Claire, what about you? My answer was when I was in my early 20s, I lived a pretty dangerous lifestyle at uni. It got to the point where I'd made some decisions that I didn't think I could ever be forgiven for. I was broken in every way a person could be broken. I eventually came to church because I was desperate for forgiveness and I had nothing left left to lose. Thank you. Um, The second question to think about is, what did God do? And for the Samaritan woman in the passage, Jesus came to her, spoke to her, gave her the time of day no one else would and told her that he knew her back to front. He honoured her despite knowing about all of her baggage. And then he revealed he was the Messiah she'd been waiting for. My answer is that leaving home when I was 19 caused me to think about whether I wanted a faith of my own. In my first year in Manchester, God challenged me by surrounding me with Christians who honestly all took their faith a lot more seriously than I did. It made me rethink what I believed and how much it mattered. I decided that year that Jesus was going to be the main event in my life, not the supporting act, because he's more worthy of that than anyone or anything else. Mm. Um, My answer was, my friend Rach brought me to church and the Holy Spirit filled my mind with peace for the first time. I hadn't experienced any peace in a long time and I knew that I needed to come back. I had no idea what was going on, but I knew I needed to come back. Over time, God began restoring the broken things in my life. He restored my relationships with my family and friends, which I'd broken, and he helped me to stop addictions, full stop. He also restored me, and through this, I learned who Jesus was. During the first year of my faith, I uh, I went to an Alpha course and I got baptised. Cool. Um, And that that last question that we're going to answer is, how have things changed? So the woman in the passage, this person who was formerly known as the woman who's had five husbands became an evangelist, somebody who shared the good news of Jesus, whether she realized that was what was happening or not. See, because of her testimony, God brought many people to faith in Jesus through her. Verse 39 tells us this, says many of the Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. This was the instrument God used for people to come to know him. My answer is that God brought about in me among other things a passion for learning more about the scriptures and teaching them to his people which is why I'm where I am today it's shaped every decision in my life ever since it's why I'm preaching to you right now I'm still learning but God's grace amazes me every day and one more thing I wanted to add is that because of God's promise that Jesus will return and make all things new I know there's always hope even in the darkest of situations yeah my answer is God has taught me that he's powerful enough to use even my worst memories and situations and experiences to further his kingdom and bless others. Even Andy wouldn't recognize the person I was seven years ago. 
Jesus has completely, utterly and radically changed my life. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, the reason Claire and I wanted to share parts of our story in this way this morning is really just to get the ball rolling and to encourage you to think about doing the same. Think about how God has changed your life. Maybe you relate to my story. Maybe you relate to Claire's. Maybe you don't relate to either. That's okay. But actually, uh, although we are all telling the same story of Jesus saving us, of crossing over from death to life, we each have a unique experience of what that looks like. Claire and I have different stories of how the same story, Jesus dying on a cross and paying for our sin, has changed our lives. Honestly, it's easy to compare as well. There have been times where I've wanted to have a story that was a bit more like Claire's. And there have been times where Claire's wanted to have a story that's a bit more like mine. But we've come to learn over time that God can use any story of what he's done for his glory. Let me encourage you as you leave today to think about how you could share your story with those around you. What was the situation before you knew Jesus? What did God do to bring you to faith in him? And what has changed since? Well, I said I was going to finish with the end of the story of one of my favourite stories, Louis Zamperini. See, Louis returned to the USA in 1945 after the war, traumatised by what had happened to him. For years afterwards, he wrestled with feelings of hatred for those who had tortured and abused him. He developed PTSD. He didn't sleep. He turned to alcohol. His life was in ruins. But in 1949, his wife, Cynthia, attended a Billy Graham crusade and she became a Christian. <clears throat> Later that year, she persuaded a very reluctant Louis to come along to another crusade and there everything changed for him. You see, Billy Graham's preaching reminded Louis of the desperate prayers that he and his fellow soldiers had prayed on the raft and in the prisoner of war camps. And he knew that it was God who had got him through. So he gave his life to Jesus. Shortly after this, he actually stopped having these violent nightmares as well. In the years following this, Billy Graham helped Louis Zamperini launch an evangelistic career. He started traveling around the world telling people about Jesus, but the most incredible trip he went on, in my opinion at least, is when he visited Japan with the sole intention of telling the soldiers who had imprisoned and abused him that he had forgiven them. See, Louis had come to know the grace and mercy of God. And it had stirred within him a deep desire to have mercy on those who had wronged him. On his trip to Japan, he told everyone he met about his newfound faith and how Jesus had changed his life. And some of his former guards even became Christians. It is incredible to see how God changes lives. Whatever your story looks like, no one is ever the same after coming to know Jesus. As you tell your story to your friends and family and colleagues, Maybe it'll prompt them to explore the claims you're making for themselves. And in those explorations, we pray that people will come to know that it's true, that God is sovereign, that Jesus really did die and pay the price for our sin, and that for anyone who believes in him, the reward is eternal life.